Good morning, friends, and welcome to St. Matthew's this morning. It's really good to see you, and it's really lovely to hear that conversation as we greet one another. Uh, to those of you who are online, we're glad you're joining us. Listen to these word, uh, words from the opening of Psalm 105, which says, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. We've got a chance to do that as we stand and sing our first hymn. Please stand. stay standing. <laughs> uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer and then we'll say the creed together, the Apostles' Creed. And uh, this prayer that I'm going to lead us in uh, is drawn from the Book of Common Prayer and uh, is set for the, the season of Pentecost, uh, marking that time when sometime after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, he sent his Holy Spirit amongst us. I'll lead us in prayer. God, who at this time taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by this same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy comfort 
through the merits of Jesus Christ our Saviour. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what is it that you believe? Let's say together the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please take your seats. Well, a warm welcome again to you, uh, to St Matthew's here this morning, but to those of you who are here in the building and to those of you who are joining us online. It's uh, really good to see you here. Uh, for those of you who are guests, uh, we love having guests, so welcome to you especially. Uh, my name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here. And uh, we, we trust that your time you'll find together with us is really worthwhile as well as enjoyable for you this morning, but welcome. Uh, our service today will feature uh, a reading from Romans chapter 5, uh, this uh, wonderful um, exposition of the gospel of Jesus that we read in the book of Romans, and we, we reach a new high in Romans 5 uh, when we hear of the way that God pours his love out on us through the Lord Jesus bringing us peace and bringing us joy. Uh, Nathan Campbell, one of our other ministers here, will be speaking to us from that part of God's word. I will also be sharing together later in the service in the Lord's Supper, and particularly for those of you at home, it'd be great if you've got a little piece of bread at least and uh, a cup to drink from as we share in that together. But welcome again, it's great to have everybody here. Margaret is gonna come and lead us in prayer now. Thank you, Margaret. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your love by which you sent the Lord Jesus to die for us, even when we were your ungodly enemies. We thank you we now have peace with you by the reconciling blood of Jesus. We ask that you might increase our hope and cause us to rejoice even through sufferings confident of our right standing with you. We give thanks for the Queen, for her admirable, faithful devotion to keep the public commitment she made before God over seven decades ago to serve Commonwealth citizens all her life. Lord, we bring before you those who live and work in the prison system. For inmates, Please give them patience and strength to bear their confinement. In times of extended lockdown, may they call out to you and hope in your promises. For prison officers, may they use their authority for good and be protected from misuse of authority so prisoners are treated with the dignity of those who are made in your image. 
We pray for our mission partners at Life Church in Marsden Park. We join them in giving you thanks at the time of their fifth anniversary and for the new people who've joined them this year. We praise you for people of diverse cultures and multiple generations who make up the church. We ask they will be increasingly Christ-like, so more and more they express the unity of the body of Christ. Lord, we pray for those in our own church community who are working under extra strains and stresses through the COVID pandemic, especially in the healthcare and education systems. May they find strength and rest in you so their work blesses others and honours you. May policymakers and senior management have wisdom in addressing difficulties arising from the pandemic. We bring before you those known to us who are finding life difficult. May they know your peace which passes all understanding and guide us in how we may show your love to them. Loving Father, you are our creator, sustainer, and redeemer. Grant us a firm and certain knowledge of your goodness towards us, founded upon your promises in Christ, revealed in your word, and sealed upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Welcome to church today. I can't see you, but I'm imagining you all gathered together to worship God, and I'm looking forward to being there with you. And an especially warm welcome to those of you that are here for the very first time. We'd love to know that you've joined us today. And one way you can let us know is by snapping the QR code on the little card under the seat in front of you. All you need to do is to lean forward and pull out the card. Now, if you don't feel like doing it now, you can take it home with you. We've got plenty and do it during the week. And one of the staff will be in contact with you. It's also a great way if you're a regular here to leave a comment or ask a question. I really love getting in on Monday mornings and checking out who's been in touch. So keep them coming. Now, there isn't too much to bring to your attention today. First up, as we've mentioned over the last couple of weeks, the Christian Care Seminar is this Wednesday the 15th kinking off at 8 p.m. in the church. We'll then be running the same session the next morning, Thursday the 16th at 9.30 a.m. in the Darley Smith Building. And you're going to need to be there in person for this one because it's not being recorded and it's not being streamed online. This year's seminar is called Tough to Love. And we'll be looking at loving those we find hard to love. We'll talk about what it means to love one another as I have loved you and about what we can do when the going gets tough, when it's not easy to love. And we'll try and work out what Jesus actually meant when he said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And your speaker this year is, wait for it, me. So even though I can't see you right now, I look forward to seeing and sharing with you next Wednesday night or Thursday morning. 
The only other thing to remind you about today is the Working Bee next Saturday. Thanks so much to all of you who have already signed up. It's been a great response. If you'd like to pitch in next Saturday, and you can do so by filling in the online form that was linked in the weekly news on Friday, and Willem will be in touch with you. Didn't get the weekly news, but you'd like to? Connect card. There's a way of signing up, and then you can keep on top of what's happening here at St Matthews. So that's it for another week, and hope to see you around. Well, Deb was actually here in the building a little while ago, but she's very helpfully taken someone home who wasn't feeling so well. We're going to stand now and sing together our second hymn and our offertory hymn uh, before we hear from God's Word as Trish reads for us. Please stand. Morning, everyone. The reading today is from Romans 5, verses 1 to 11, and you can find it on page 1130 in the Pew Bibles. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Oh, good morning, everyone. What a great passage we've got this morning. Let's pray as we get started. Lord God, we thank you that you are a, a God that speaks, that you're a God who has spoken. You don't leave us in silence. And Lord, you haven't left, left us in the silence this morning either. Pray, Father, that, that we might hear you as you speak through these wonderful words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in the interests of transparency, I think I actually need to begin with a confession this morning. I've got a history with this passage. It's easily one of my most cherished passages in all of Scripture. And um, funnily enough, I didn't ask actually to preach it this morning, just fell that way. But my history with Romans 5 begins all the way back when I was in year 11, so not that long ago. I, uh, I'd gone on a leadership camp, a crusaders camp, um, that was designed to kind of teach you how to um, learn how to unpack and, and then teach the Bible, and they actually used this very passage in order for us to kind of practice with through the week. Now, I'd, I'd love to be able to say I was able to, to go and, and draw from all the notes that I took when I was on that camp and then bring them to bear today in for today's message, but unfortunately, I didn't get a whole lot done that week, because it was on that camp that I met a girl. <laughs> we'll have been married uh, 14 years this December, and actually in tribute to that camp, uh, we chose to have Romans 5 as our passage that was read at our wedding. Now that picture is proof that a lot can happen in 14 years. <laughs> Now, some of you might know this, I'm actually, one of the hats I wear here at Samats is I'm the weddings minister as well, and we've had a lot of weddings uh, the last little while, um, but to this day, whenever I'm taking a couple through wedding prep, um, one of the passages we'll work through together is this passage, Romans 5, and it's, it's definitely not your typical wedding passage, but it is very relational, isn't it? 
totally relational, particularly, I think, when it comes to the issue of conflict in relationships. That's actually the week when we pull it out and have a look at it, the Conflict Resolution Week. <laughs> it's always a fun session. So as we work through it together this morning, I want you to be on the lookout for this relational dimension that's going on here because it, it really does mark a bit of a shift in, uh, in where we've been in Romans so far. This chapter, chapter 5, begins a new section in the letter. Take a look with me at how Paul begins chapter 5. He says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith. Justified through faith. That is a, it's a pretty good summary of everything Paul's been saying for the last four chapters, isn't it? Justified by faith. We all need to be made right with God. And the only way we can do that is by faith. It's Romans 1 to 4. Paul's emphasis is on faith. And yet we come then to Romans 5. Paul's like, therefore, because of all of that, because of the last four chapters, what I've been talking about, justification by faith, here's something new. For the next four chapters, in fact, so from this chapter through to chapter 8, Paul's emphasis turns from focusing on faith to now focusing on life. It's like, okay, so now I'm, now I'm justified by God. What does that actually mean for me right now? What does it mean for life on the ground level? Like, what, what's next? That's the section that we're moving into today. And for the opening part of this new section, Paul seems to be addressing a, a particular pastoral concern. It's all well and good, Paul, for you to tell me that I'm justified before God now, but what about on that final day? Like, how can I know now that I will be saved then? You ever wondered that question before? Maybe not phrasing it in that exact way, but, but really questioning whether your faith in God has actually worked. We might ask that question, particularly in those times when our experience of this life when the way you're feeling about things, it, it, it seems to be suggesting something different, perhaps. How can I know that I'm still okay, you know? That on that final day, God will recognize me as one of his own. How can I know that? I wonder if that resonates with you. Because I've got to say, having spent five years here as the youth guy, which is what I was doing before, that was a very common question amongst our young people. How can I be confident that I am right with God? How can I know now that I will be saved then? Well, in Romans 5, 1 to 11, Paul cooks up a great answer to that question and he serves it to us in kind of three main courses. We get peace, we get hope, and we get love. And he's really addressing that question. How can we know now that we'll be saved then? Paul points to these three things. We have a, a peace, he says, a peace we now have. There's a hope that we now hold. And it's because of a love that God's demonstrated. Peace, hope, and love. Three courses, do a great meal. Let's get stuck into it. 
Let's go back to verse 1 again. Read these words with me. What does Paul say? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, what's next? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul writes. Peace with God. Jump ahead to verse 10. He says something similar, but with different words. He, he says in verse 10, we were reconciled to him. Same idea, reconciled, peace. Those two words are, are very much connected. And, and the first thing I want you to notice about those two words, peace and reconciliation, is that they're relational words, aren't they? Relational words. For the last four chapters, Paul's been talking about justification, which you'll have heard if you've been with us, is a legal term. To be justified is to be declared, legally declared, innocent, to be exonerated. But now Paul's moving from the legal to talk about the relational. It's like given this new legal status, you now have a new relational status with God. You're at peace with Him. We all know what it's like to not be at peace with someone, don't we? I'm not just talking about the kind of open, obvious, outright hostility, but sometimes you will have conflict with someone and they won't even know because you'll have kind of held on to it and stewed over it. And then other times, we'll be convinced that someone has an issue with us. That's not a nice place to be, is it? Kind of leaves you with a gnawing sense of unease. You know, something's not quite right between me and them. And it can be distracting. If you ever found yourself in that stuck in that kind of thought pattern where you're kind of playing the conversations and the interactions over and over in your mind and going, did I say something? Did I do something? What could they... And, and you, you kind of second-guess things and you, you wonder and you worry and sometimes that sense of unease actually even starts to affect your sleep. That's happened to me before. You've got a problem with a friend or, or a co-worker or a family member. You think there's some kind of conflict going on and, and you wake up in the middle of the night and, and that conflict is all you can think about. It just springs right back into your head and, of course, then you can't get back to sleep. It's pretty awful to be in that space. But here is the sweet and beautiful truth of Romans 5. There is no reason for us to feel that way about God not those who have peace with him. There is no lingering questions. There's, there's nothing to second guess or to wonder about or to worry about. If you've been justified by faith, you now have peace with God, Paul tells us. It's a deep sleep kind of peace. In the Old Testament, the word for peace is shalom. Shalom. And it means far more than just the absence of conflict. We hear the word peace and, and that's what our mind kind of naturally goes to, the absence of conflict. But in the Bible, the idea of shalom is, is much more, much more than just that. It's connected to the, to the idea of wholeness and completeness, something that's being kind of restored to its rightful order and place. It's like harmony. 
It's a bit like how I felt walking back into my house this week. We've uh, just had the whole interior repainted. It's taken a few weeks. And what a difference that makes walking back into the house this week. Because beforehand, you know, there was... Some of the walls had, had mismatched colours. Uh, there were sections where the, where the paint was starting to flake. The door frames, of course, were scratched and dented from, from moving furniture over the years. There were, there were holes from wall hangings. There were half-torn stickers in the kids' rooms. Fingerprints. It's just a general wear and tear kind of thing. But, man, coming back to it this week completely repainted, everything completely repainted and restored. It's the colours match, the flaking's been fixed, the holes are filled, the dents are gone. That's shalom. Shalom, right? You could smell it in the air when you came in. Completeness. Knowing our boys, it's not going to last very long. But this week for now, it's shalom. Paul's saying that's what we now have with God, relationally. You know, what was once chipped and dented and flaking has now been restored to wholeness. See, God doesn't just forgive you. We talk about that a lot here, don't we? God forgives you. He doesn't just forgive you, though, does He? He welcomes you in, which is really what, what, what that idea of peace is grasps hold of. He welcomes you in. I wonder if you feel that sense, not just that you've been forgiven, but that you've been welcomed in. A deep sleep kind of peace with God. No need to worry, no need to second guess, no wondering about where you stand with Him. I wonder if that's how you feel this morning as you reflect on your relationship with God. Is that how you feel? Do you have that deep sleep kind of peace? Because that's what he offers. And you know, here's the interesting thing about peace with God. It's not actually just a feeling that, that having a sense of peace. This peace that we have with God, it's also a perspective. It, it, it ends up shaping the way that we see things, our life and our circumstances. And it especially fuels the hope that we have in the future. And hope is what Paul serves up for his second course. Take a look with me at the end of verse 2. He says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Which means really fixing our eyes on the glory that's to come. On, on that day when we enter into God's glory. See, peace with God means that the future is now bright. It's now bright. And so this peace that we have, it actually gives birth to hope. It shapes our perspective. It transforms the way we, we see the future. See, if God, if God is no longer against us, then there's no longer a reason to worry about that final day, is there? That's why we can have hope. Peace with God isn't just a feeling, it's a perspective. And it completely transforms, get this, even the way we respond in seasons of suffering. I'm sure you noticed 
in verse 3, as we had it read, just that bizarre statement that Paul makes along these lines. Not only so, he says, but we also glory in our sufferings. The word glory there is actually the same word that, that Paul has used in the previous verse, which we translate as boast, means the same thing. Glory, boast, can also mean rejoice. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. I mean, joy and suffering is not usually something that you would see paired together or expect to be paired together, and yet Paul puts them together here. And it's funny, because you'd think if there was anything that was going to disturb the peace that you now have with God, it would be suffering, right? Not so, Paul tells us. The ultimate peace we now enjoy with God actually it puts our suffering in perspective. And so rather than derail our faith, Paul says suffering actually does the opposite. Much like how, how a muscle grows stronger when the load is heavy, right? The more it gets worked, so our walk with God grows and develops and matures when we go through seasons of suffering. Take Ross, for instance. He and his family come along to, to 10 a.m. here. I've gotten to know him over the last little while. For the last six months, Ross has been training for an event that kicks off today, in fact. The Ironman Asia-Pacific Championship up in Cairns. You know how brutal the Ironman is? It's incredible. You begin with a 3.8-kilometer swim... You follow that up with 180 kilometers on a bike and then you finish it off for good measure by running a marathon, 42 kilometers, in one day, non-stop. There's no breaks. You go from one to the other to the other. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> Ross, started, Ross started the race at 7.40 this morning. So he's now, he's almost an hour into it. He'd still be in the water swimming. And he's, he's hoping to finish, he told me, by 9 o'clock tonight. That would be a good time. So this whole day, as, as I preach, he's going to be doing this race. And imagine for a moment the kind of training he must have put himself through in order to do that today. The hundreds of hours in the pool, on the road, in the gym... Now, it's obviously self-inflicted, like he didn't have to do that. But you can't deny the suffering that Ross must have gone through or the suffering that he is currently experiencing this very minute. Like, you can't deny it, right? But out, out of all those hours, the pain, the blood, the sweat and the tears, it, it wasn't for nothing. Each stroke, each step, each rep... All of it was actually accomplishing something, right? It was producing something. It was equipping him. And that's kind of how Paul talks about our suffering here in verses 3 and 4. There's nothing nice about suffering, just like there's nothing nice about training for an Ironman event. It's always awful, our suffering, and it's usually tragic. And yet Paul is saying that as awful and as tragic as it may be, 
It's also doing something within us. Like the pain of training for the Iron Man, our suffering is not for nothing. It actually produces stuff within us. You see, friends, tough times actually exercise the muscles of our faith. It's never pleasant or enjoyable, but then whoever promised you that the Christian life was going to be pleasant? It's never nice, but, but suffering will actually develop perseverance within us, Paul says, which is that kind of resolve to hang in there when the going gets tough. And it also strengthens our grip on God. We hold on tighter. We lean in on him, to Him in trust and dependence. That's kind of character, Paul says. And suffering also has this knack for just sharpening your focus on the finish line, doesn't it? Seeing it ahead and putting your head down. That's hope. And when you think about it for a moment, those three things, where else will we develop godly perseverance? Where else will we develop godly character and godly hope if it's not through exercising the muscles of our faith through seasons of suffering. If you're in a season yourself right now, and I'm sure there are some here who are, may this period of pain, however long it may last, may it produce in you that steely resolve to persevere, to hold fast, May it grow in you a depth and a maturity of faithful character and and may the peace of God lead you to look past the pain of now to the hope of what's to come. See, this is a hope, Paul tells us in verse 5. Take a look. This is a hope that will not put us to shame, he says. As in, it won't fall through. It It won't be proven to be false. It's a certain hope, as certain as the peace we now have with God. And the certainty of both these two things, the peace we have and the hope we hold, both of them actually rest upon the powerful and profound foundation of God's love for us, which is exactly where Paul's third and final course takes us. Take a look really quickly, through the passage, at all the things Paul calls us in this passage. Verse 6, we were powerless and ungodly, he tells us. Verse 8, what word does he use? While we were still sinners. Verse 10, what does he say? We were God's enemies. Powerless, ungodly, sinners, enemies. What is Paul trying to do by laboring this point, right? Four different ways he says it, basically. Well, we've got to remember what Paul's pastoral question was that he was trying to answer. How can I know now that I'll be saved then? Well, you can know now, Paul says, because God was willing to die for you when you were at your worst. When you were at your worst. There is no greater demonstration of his love for you than that, right? When you were at your worst, he still loved you. When you were at your least lovable, when your heart was turned against him, when you were running 
as far away from him as you could. God's love for you remained when you were all of those things, powerless, ungodly, sinners, enemies. That's when he came after you. That's when he came down for you. That's when he allowed himself to be bloodied and beaten and broken for you. For you. His enemy. How can I know now that I'll be saved then? That's how you know. That's how you know. J.I. Packer puts it like this. He says, there is tremendous relief in knowing that God's love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can disillusion him about me. Christ died for you at your worst. Do you get why that's such good news? If he's willing to take me at my worst, there's actually nothing more he can learn about me that he he hasn't already seen. He doesn't already know. He's aware of it all. And he still wants me. He still died for me. I mean, that's why we can be confident we now have a peace with God that will last that's why Paul can say that our, our hope, it won't put us to shame. It's a certain hope. It's because God has gone and done already the hardest thing. He's given up his life to save his enemies, and it's worked. We're now at peace. Radical reconciliation. A couple of years back, I remember reading a news article about the trial of Amber Geiger, who was a white policewoman from Texas charged with the murder of a 26-year-old black man named Botham Jean. At the time, they were both living in the same apartment block. One, late one night, after having finished a 14-hour shift, Amber mistakenly entered Botham's apartment, thinking it was her own. He was just sitting on the couch, eating ice cream, unarmed. But she got such a shock that she, she pulled a weapon and she fatally shot him. Terrible. Absolutely tragic. She ended up being found guilty of murder and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Before the trial concluded, Botham's 18-year-old brother, Brant, was given the, the opportunity to take the stand and to give a victim impact statement. What a thing to have to do. What do you say to the person who's just torn your family apart, murdered your brother? What, what, do you, what, what would you say? Here's what Brand said. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. I'm not going to say that I hope you rot and die. I love you. And then He did this. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. That's, 
I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. That's radical reconciliation. You see, he doesn't just forgive her, he embraces her. He makes peace with her. That's what God's done for us. Enemy love. Christ died for you at your You know what that demonstrates about his love? It means God doesn't love you for your utility, right? As in what you can do for him. He doesn't love you because you're useful. It means he doesn't love you for your obedience, because you're such a good listener, because you follow his every command. I mean, he does love it when you do that, but that's not why he loves you. God doesn't love you because you're good. He doesn't love you because you've got potential. He doesn't love you because of anything you've done for him, anything you've given to him, or anything he hopes you might do for him. A God who's willing to come after you at your lowest, when you're the worst version of yourself, that's not a God who needs anything from you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you wants you. He wants you despite of who you were, despite being his enemy, despite being a powerless, ungodly sinner, despite being wholly unworthy of his love. God offers it to us anyway because he wants to be reconciled with you. He wants peace with you. Shalom. Friends, is there any greater incentive to love and worship this God of ours than that. To lift our voices in praise and rejoicing. Friends, there is no greater assurance that our peace is real, that our hope is certain than this right here. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Father God, what immense words you've laid before us this morning. Hard for us to fully comprehend and grasp hold of, and yet, Lord, we just pray that 
that we might. Thank you, Father, for the peace that you have offered to us at such a great cost to yourself, even while we were still turned away from you. Thank you, Lord, for the confidence we can have for those who are justified by faith that we are now right with you, not just right with you, Lord, but that you welcome us in as one of your own. May we rejoice, Father, as the only right and appropriate response when we behold the glory of a love like we have this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're going to get a chance to lift our voices in praise, which is what this, voice, which this passage really calls us to do, doesn't it? To God be the glory, which has the line, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. What a great line for us to sing together as we respond to this radical reconciliation. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and do that together now.
It's great to hear you singing. We've got great things to sing about. Please be seated. I realised about three minutes ago that I normally set up a little table here for us on a Sunday morning when we've got the Lord's Supper. We've got a beautiful cup and I normally go and buy a little loaf of, um, of bread. But I forgot to do that today. Do you think we can still share in the Lord's Supper without those things? Great. I plan not to do that again, but I can't make any guarantees, I've got to say. Anyway, so what we're doing here, it's a very simple meal, isn't it? Especially with these um, COVID-friendly packs with just a little bit of bread and uh, a little cup, a little plastic cup of all things. Um, but these point us to realities which make such a difference for us, uh, which we're so mindful of as we've been reading through Romans chapter 5 this morning, about that peace we can know with God uh, because of his love, about the hope we have that we hold to in Christ. And that's what this little bit of bread and these little cups point us to. I'm going to read uh, this morning an invitation that is drawn from the Book of Common Prayer, which I've mentioned a couple of times, a slightly modernised version, an invitation to join in this together. So let me read you for, uh, this for you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we who come to receive the Holy Communion of the body and blood of our Saviour Christ can come only because of his great love for us. For although we are completely undeserving of his love, yet in order to raise us from the darkness of death to everlasting life as God's sons and daughters, our Saviour Christ humbled himself to share our life and to die for us on the cross. In remembrance of his death and as a pledge of his love, Jesus instituted this holy sacrament which we're now to share. But those who would eat the bread and drink the cup of the Lord must examine themselves and amend their lives. They must come with a repentant heart and steadfast faith. Above all, they must give thanks to God for his love towards us in Christ Jesus. So you then who turn away from your sins and are reconciled with others, intending to lead a new life of joyful obedience to God, draw near with faith, and take this bread and cup to strengthen and sustain you. But first, let us make a humble confession of our sins to Almighty God. Together. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent, according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. I'm going to read now a word of reassurance from a little later in the book of Romans, where at the beginning of chapter 8 it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus you have been set free from the law of sin and death. 
So here's how one of the Gospels described the night before Jesus went to the cross, when he shared in what we know of as the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, then gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's take this little bit of bread and as we eat it, let's feed on Christ in our hearts with thanksgiving. Let's take up these cups and as we drink, let's remember the blood of Christ which brought about a new covenant between us and God, a covenant of forgiveness and be thankful. Shall we join together in this prayer of thanksgiving and of dedication to following Jesus? Lord and Heavenly Father, in your loving kindness, accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Grant that by the merits and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and your whole church may receive forgiveness of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. With gratitude for all your mercies, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice through Jesus Christ our Lord. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. So in a short while, um, this door will open and we can head out for morning tea. I invite you to come and join us. If you're not familiar with it, we'd love to have you uh, come and join us there. But as we close the formal part of our gathering, let's stand. And have we got this benediction on the screen? Yes, Let, let's say this together. And if it says uh, you, make sure you say us. We're addressing one another as we say this. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen. Amen.